Father, there are many needs. There's sorrow. There's struggles. There are people facing life decisions, some major, some minor. But we need your help. I would pray that all of those in need this morning would cry out to you for that help. Knowing that they have a God who cares, a God who hears, a God who comes when he's asked. A Savior who understands our sorrows, who understands our griefs. A Savior who was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. I'm so glad we have a creator who knows us intimately. So, Father, we surrender these burdens to you, and I hope that through the proclamation of your word this morning, we'll come to know the burden bearer just a little more intimately. For it's in the name of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in today's text, we will once again see the the intimacy, that word that I used, of not only the relationship, but the oneness of the Father and the Son. The reality of the Trinity and the inner relationship and shared knowledge that is privy to that type of relationship between the Father and the Son. Summarizing our text, bringing us up to the last of uh, part of chapter 11, In chapter 10, Jesus had just summoned his 12 disciples and he had given them kingdom authority. He had commissioned them and sent them out with warnings and encouragement. In chapter 11, we see Jesus on the move. It's just, as the scripture says, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. He then comforts the disciples of John the Baptist, confirming his identity and his coming. He went on from there to condemn the unbelieving cities, which brings us to the point of study in the last part of chapter 11 Matthew's Gospel, if you would please stand with me as we read, if you are able to stand, as we read from Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30. Chapter 11 can be summarized in three ways, comfort, condemnation, and calling. Now everybody, I asked him if I needed to go over there and preach, Uh, we've got a projector down, so uh, for your understanding. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Verse 28. Come to me, all who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thus says the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. As we continue our series on the Lord's prayers and looking at his prayer life, we looked at the Lord's prayer by definition or by designation, most often called the Lord's prayer last week. And the Spirit of God revealed five principles that we can follow in that prayer, again, that guide our prayer time. And I have to tell you, my, my jaw, my, my, I call it my spiritual jaw dropped when I discovered the same five principles in this prayer. I just want us to look at that very briefly. Last week, the first principle in the Lord's Prayer was the personal principle. And let's look at today's prayer. I thank you, Father. The second principle was the preeminent principle. Lord of heaven and earth. Do you see it? The third was providential principle. In today's prayer, again, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. The fourth principle was the provisional principle in verse 28 of our text today. Come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the last principle of last week's prayer, the power principle, again in today's text, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus can take care of us, folks. So I don't know if you have ever noticed those in the prayer, but, and, and I, I haven't delved into the next prayer to see if we can discover the five, but I certainly see consistency in this pattern of prayer. So I guess at this point I will say refer to last week's outline, amen, and let's have the invitation. Let's go to the text for today. Point number one. I see in this prayer a rejoicing by our Savior. A rejoicing by our Savior. It says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. That's a, that's a prayer of praise, a prayer of recognition. It was a time of exaltation. So important to our prayer life that, that we extol the Lord, that we lift him high, that we praise his name, that we give him thanks, that, that we celebrate his goodness, his grace, and his mercy. That's so important because I tell you folks, it will diminish the intensity of the problem that we may be bringing to him also. If we celebrate how good he is, how great he is, how sufficient he is, we will rest in him. We will find that rest for our souls. So the prayer begins with praise. Even in times of hurt, in sorrow, in suffering, to praise our Heavenly Father, even if it's just over the fact that He hears our prayers, that's worthy of praise. Remember when a child of God prays, all heaven is listening. It stands still and the Father hears 
Praise him for who he is and all that he has done. Please listen carefully. I just want to read a few scriptures that are good to have marked in your Bible for times of praise. In Psalm 145, I will extol the Lord, my King and God, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all the angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon, and praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heaven. Do you get the drift? Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet and sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Folks, our God is worthy of praise, and it needs to be a critical, crucial part of our prayer life to praise the Lord. So not only was there exaltation in this prayer, but there was an explanation in this prayer, a celebration of God's revealed truth. A closer look at these verses, if we look, Jesus is emphasizing humble attitudes. His delight is to see people humbly trusting in God. God, God does, does not take joy. He does not delight in sin and judgment. But he calls men to repentance and faith. Arrogance shuts the door. Humility opens it wide. The scribes and the Pharisees claimed a sophisticated knowledge of God that the common man just could not attain. They were the professionals. They had degrees and superior knowledge. The true believer has an intimate knowledge of God, not just an intellectual knowledge of God. The prudent and the wise, the clever and the brilliant were ignorant of the truths. When Jesus condemned the cities, they had all the evidence they needed to believe, yet they missed the Messiah and did not repent. The Apostle Paul came to this simple understanding, and he gives us an account of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Isn't that an interesting passage? For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Brothers and sisters, God has not given us a complicated message. I hope that you never grow weary of hearing Christ 
crucified, Christ buried, Christ risen, Christ ascended, and Christ coming again. May we never grow weary of the simple gospel message. Because it's in that that we find the forgiveness of sins. For consider your calling, brothers, Paul continues. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were noble birth. But God chose what is foolish. Oh, I qualify. I qualify in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. The simplicity of the gospel message. The Bible was written to the common man and we can understand it under the illuminating power of the Holy Spirit. Do not confuse simplicity and humility with stupidity. Please do not. But I have a fear that we, we in America and maybe some parts of the world have the most educated and powerless church in history. Folks, we need to have application. We need to surrender what we know to the power of God and let him make his work known in the world. Tony Evans puts it this way. Jesus said in effect, Thank you, Father, that you keep secrets from people who think they're smart enough to figure it out on their own. I love that. God is happy to hide answers from those who don't think they need him. The answer to life's burdens isn't found via mere human wisdom, but through the accepting of the divine viewpoint. We must become like infants and trust their daddy. And the only way to know and have access to our father who hides things from self-sufficient people is through knowing and trusting his son, Jesus Christ. Well said, Dr. Evans. So now we move from the rejoicing of the Savior to the revealing of our Savior. In verses 27 through 30, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So point Next point, the illumination through the Son. He confirms his authority. And I want to share just a, just a bit here from an old preacher named John Broadus. Late, mid to late 1800s. Matter of fact, he passed away in 1895. He was actually the founder of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, but he was an old timer, preached the gospel. And he has this to say. Perhaps when the covenant of redemption was formed in eternity, all things were committed to him, Jesus. 
All that pertains to the instruction of men in religious truth, all authority in heaven and earth was given to him as a mediatorial king. Jesus is the authorized instructor in the knowledge of God. I love that. The Father's Son has received full authority over Satan, demons, over human ailments and handicaps, wind and waves, body and soul, life and death, his own disciples and all other people to save them and to judge them. Authority over heaven and earth. Jesus has what the sinner needs. He also knows and he alone can provide for the sinner's needs. That wraps it all up. Only Jesus Christ can reveal God to men because he is the son of God. Jesus alone reveals the mind, heart, attitudes, and attributes of God to men. Point of illumination in John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He, Jesus, has made him known. We went over this very briefly, maybe pointedly, in our message last week when we talked about the Lord's Prayer. Folks, you cannot know the Father if you don't know the Son. It's as simple as that. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. Now, there is only one God, one true and living God, and there's only one Savior, the Son of God. So don't go looking for God in other places and through other means, and don't even go looking through the, for the God of Scripture out of your own wisdom. you got to come to a point in your life where you simply say, Help! Help! And we're going to end there in just a moment. Because I am afraid we forgot how to ask for help. We've forgotten how desperate we are as we met and prayed this morning prior to, to uh, uh, the start of Sunday school and prior to the morning services. I was overwhelmed by this truth that we got to admit we need help. Now, now all of you know I'm a mess. But I got news for you. So are you. We're all a mess. Apart from Jesus Christ, we will continue to be a mess. Well, I may be a mess, but I'm God's mess. And that's where we need to come to, to understand what a mess we are. How fragile, how frail, how weak, how, how, how it's, temptation can overcome us at any time. Bet by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, may we stand firm. We need his help. Remember old Peter? Peter jumped out of the boat and he's going on a stroll right in the middle of a storm, right? And what happened? What happened? Do you remember? What happened to him, J.D.? Waves. You know what's sad? Is that's typically the only part of the story we remember. We don't remember it. He's the only one that had guts enough to get out in the first place. Or faith enough, I should say. Right? Right? We need Christ's help. What happened when Peter went down? Boom, there's a hand from heaven right there. Folks, you ever, you ever imagine that? That when Peter went down into the waves and into the wind, it was the hand of heaven that reached in and pulled him out. That's what the church needs. That's what the church needs. The hand of heaven reaching back into earth, back into this cesspool called humanity and pulling us out of the muck and the mire and setting us on higher ground. Church, it's time for revival and we got to understand something. We need help. 
We need help. Our calling is not to change the world. Our calling is to proclaim the gospel. Let God do the changing. Does that make sense? Our calling is not to get the right people elected to office. Our calling is to preach the gospel. And that will drive right choices in elections. Whoa, I got some notes here. Jesus said to him, John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas, if you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know me and have seen me. Finally, after exaltation, explanation, illumination, we have the invitation. The invitation. And folks, I can't hardly read this. I, I get emotional. I, I, I do. This is the Son of God. The Son of God speaking to his creation. It's one of the most personal, most personal passages you'll ever find. Come to me. Come to me. Do you see your name? Can you put your name before that? Marshall? Marshall Medill? Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. Alice, Kim, Gary, you see it? Come to me. Come to me. And go on all around the sanctuary. Guys, this is a personal invitation. A personal invitation. He's not talking to the person next to you. Although he is. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Are you tired? Are you tired this morning? Just a little weary? Has life gotten you in a place where you're just, you're just wore out? Have you been through a difficult time? Are you in a difficult time? Are you facing a difficult time? He'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Brothers and sisters, do you see his plea? Our Lord's passion is our burdens. Our burdens. Three points of emphasis in closing. Come to me. All who labor, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. First of all, it's a saving invitation. It's a saving invitation. Come to me, he says. Literally, if, if, if we were to read this in the original text, it would say, come now. That's, that's what it means. That's what it implies. Come now, right now. Don't wait. This is urgent. Come to me now. Tomorrow may be too late. Later today may be too late. Right now, this moment, come to me, Jesus says. Folks, that emphasizes just how fragile life is. How many are sitting in this sanctuary this morning, how many of you have had your life just radically, dramatically dramatically changed in a flash of a second. Everything changed. In a moment, a phone call. 
comes and your life is never the same. And if you're not in the rest of Christ, in Christ's rest, then you're not prepared for that moment, folks. You're not prepared for that moment. That's why Jesus says, come now. Come now. An urgent plea to find rest for our souls. We got to quit trying to save ourselves and sustain ourselves. Come and rest in the final and finished work of Jesus Christ. Secondly, it's a sanctifying command. A saving invitation, a sanctifying command. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The yoke means that we are joined to Christ. He is the strong one pulling the load, but we are to go with him every step of the way. And he says, learn from me. The word means to to learn through watching and instruction. It carries the idea of, of what a disciple of Christ is all about. Folks, the Christian life is a journey, and it does not end until we get home. And all along the way, Jesus is instructing us through his word. He is taking the circumstances of our life, the good, the bad, the successes, the suffering, the joys, the trials, and applying his wonderful truth to each and reveals himself in each and every one of them. So in the invitation and the sanctifying command, Jesus Christ is saying, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? It means that you have come to Christ, recognizing him alone as your Savior and Lord. It affirms that you have taken up the yoke of submission to him as Lord of all in your life, so that your delight is to do his will and nothing else will ever satisfy. And it means that you are learning from him, being regularly instructed in his word. That is the Christian life. One that has come to Christ, been yoked in submission to Christ, and regularly learns from Christ. That's the Christian life. And lastly, it's a satisfying promise. Jesus says, I am gentle, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is where those who are without Christ will probably struggle. You hear the invitation to come to Christ, but you think it would spoil all your fun, (laughs) and the rest of your life now will be just mundane. Let me tell you something, and I assure you by the authority of the Word of God and confirmed in my, well, not confirmed, and illustrated in my personal experience, you don't have any life at all if you don't have Christ. And one of the greatest deceptions of Satan is making you think you do. That you can actually have more fun if you don't surrender your will and your ways to Christ. That is a lie from the pits of hell. Anything apart from Christ is pure bondage, a demonic stronghold. Listen to his words. You will rest. You will have rest for your souls. A satisfying rest. His yoke 
and his burden and guaranteed by his yoke and burden, it guarantees all the power of the creator of God, the creation of God, that you will have rest for your souls. So there you have it, my friends. Our Savior paused to pray, and we were on his heart. We were on his heart. And you can bring joy to his heart right now if you answer his call. If you answer his call. Come, he says, I am all you need. I am all that you truly long for. Come now. Is the church ready to ask for help? We need help. But the only way we come to a point of asking for help is when we come to the point of realizing how helpless we are. The world says, show me how strong you are. God says, admit how weak you are. Because if you'll do that, I'll show you how strong I am. Mighty to save. Mighty to keep. What an awesome God we serve. So the question, again, is not for the person sitting next to you or somewhere else in the sanctuary. The question is not really for someone else that you may know. The question is for you and I. Come, Jesus said. Come. Come to me, Jesus said. Find rest for your souls. You don't have to, and to summarize the first part, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said it. We just need to believe it. And he'll take charge from there. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for time in your word. Living, active, changing hearts, minds, and souls today. Father, we pray that there would be revival. The revival would come to your people. Revival would come to your church. But Father, I am convinced Revival will not come till we get to the point of knowing how desperate we are for it. Come to Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, the Spirit and the Bride. Say, come.